Welcome to Reconciling Grace, a program where church leaders discuss various topics from the Bible. During the discussions, there may or may not always be agreement from every panel member on every point, but there is full agreement on the fact that the way to God the Father is through the reconciling grace of Jesus Christ. This is Pete Vecchi, and I welcome you to another episode of Reconciling Grace. That was Melody Morris giving our introduction. She does a great job with that, and we're glad to have her voice um, part of this program every week. Joining me today is Mick Wells. Mick is a member of Wells of Salvation Ministries. He's been such since 1980. He is one of the co-hosts of Cross Connection Radio. Steve Wilson is a Christian author with a master's degree from United Theological Seminary. And joining us today for the first time is Reverend Vicki Cundiff. Vicki is the pastor of care and counseling at Countryside Church of the Nazarene in Lebanon. So Vicki, it's good to have you with us today. I'm looking forward to um, the insights that uh, the Lord puts on your heart as we share today the topic of heresies that are still around today. Now, I got this um, idea about heresies by reading an article from crosswalk.com. So some of the things that we're going to be talking about are taken from that article. And the idea of heresy, let me just introduce it by saying this way, what is heresy? Again, this is from the article on crosswalk.com. This is what they say. They say, heresy is not the same as error. Heresy is the choice to abandon the widely accepted teaching on an essential doctrine and embrace one's own view. Heresy is to, quote, preach another gospel, unquote, as Paul stated in Galatians 1.9. And finally, technically speaking, something is not a heresy just because the church deemed it so. It is heretical because it is teaching which has abandoned the, quote, pattern of sound teaching. I tell you, that gets a little bit into the weeds. It gets a little bit uh, technical. And the idea just simply is that I don't want to get into too much about what is heresy specifically today, but rather um, jumping off from the point of this article that we read in Crosswalk.com, I want to discuss a couple of the heresies that um, it says are still around today. And when I say still around today, it means that they have been around for a long time. Going back even to the earliest days of the Bible, especially the New Testament. Well, I've been talking a lot right now, and let me talk about the first um, heresy that it talked about in the article, and it was called the heresy of the Judaizers. Now, this doesn't necessarily have to mean that somebody is Jewish to say this, but what it talks about about Judaizers is this, that the heresy is good deeds or efforts contribute to salvation. Now, what do you all think about that? Have you ever heard of anybody in this world today thinking that their good deeds or their efforts contribute to salvation? Well, I've heard of it, Pete. Um, it, it is still around. Um, I, I think that the clear meaning of Scripture is that uh, we're saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And... Uh, the word goes so far as to say, not of works, lest any man should boast. In other words, I may have 
more time and inclination uh, to want to prove myself to God. But I, I believe the core of this <clears throat> is that uh, our good works are characteristic of born-again Christians. It's just that it's a reflection of what God's done for us. It, it's a pro- byproduct of, of uh, being saved, of living for the Lord and wishing to glorify Him, but it doesn't constitute an essential requirement of me where the works themselves are effective for my salvation. That's faith alone, I believe. Does anybody else have anything they want to say about that? Because if they don't, I'm going to jump in with something else right now. I think we muddy the waters. You know, most Christians, if you ask them, well, what are you saved based on? They'll say, well, saved on faith in Jesus. I mean, we, we know that that's the right answer. But yet, every Christian knows the other things that they're supposed to do, right? And so sometimes... Uh, you know, if you corner them, they'll say, yes, it's in Jesus, but Christians do this and this and this and this and this. So, like, um, might it have something to do or go along the lines of the people who used to wear, and this is not to, to diminish these people's Christianity at all, but say, you know, here are my 25 years in a row of perfect attendance for Sunday school or, or things like that. It's kind of like, I'm, I'm a really good Christian now, but let me take it even a step back further than that. How many people do we know of, and I've probably heard this many, many, many times in my life, who say, well, after this life, I think I'll go to heaven because I'm a pretty good person. I think we've all heard that, haven't we? Do um, you have any thoughts on that, anybody? Well, Pete, I was thinking that uh, I know a lot of people that, that believe that, but they judge goodness not in terms of God's holiness and God's expectations, but in terms of relativism. Uh, I think they look around and say, okay, I I work, I bring home provisions for my family, I I do my best, I try to avoid uh, lying and swearing and things like this, and, and it's all relative, but uh, the Bible clearly tells us that her own righteousness is as filthy rags. And so um, we have to keep the standard in, in sight. Uh, God expects us to glorify him. And, and that's another thing, by the way. I think that our, when we do good things, I hope it's for the right reasons. It's not to prove to God that we're worthy. It's not to prove to ourselves that God's done in our life what he said he would. I mean, that's, that's sufficient at face value. And um, I hope it's not to impress other people that they're saved. I, I think the, the good things that we do, and, and the scripture talks in one place about good works that God has prepared for us in advance to do. It's in response to what he's done for us so that we can shine our, our light before men. Right. Well, I think that Steve kind of touched on a little bit, too, of the idea of we kind of get the idea that we're good enough, or we're not good enough, I should say, and we're saved by grace through faith alone, but we need to do a little bit extra to help. I think I read an article or actually a book about uh, grace one time that was saying along the lines of we freely admit that we are saved by grace through faith alone. 
But then once we accept that, we act as though we are kept in God's grace by doing good works and that we're relying on those works um, to save us or to be um, good enough for God, I guess. Now, the truth is none of us is good enough for God. Now, maybe Vicki, are you good enough for God? <laughs> well, you know, one thing I do want to add is that um, the Bible says in James that faith without deeds is dead. And so we do need to have good works. We need to have faith and do the good deeds. But we do those from Christ now lives within us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that's where it's coming from. We're being molded into the image of Christ. And so our good deeds are coming from uh, the heart that was within us. But at the same time, that doesn't save us. We're saved by through faith in Jesus Christ. Right. And that's, I think, where we're all in agreement. Um, now, how do we tie this to Scripture? How do we tie this to what is known as being the Judaizers uh, of good deeds or efforts contribute to salvation? And this actually goes all the way back to the uh, earliest days of the church. It goes back to the disciples, the apostles even, because there was an argument back at that time between the Christians who knew Jesus, the, the apostles, all of them were Jewish. And then along came this guy named Paul. And I mean, there was a little bit of a of a, of a interlude there where Peter talked to Cornelius and Acts, and and we realized that the that the message was also for the Gentiles. But when Paul started going out and sharing the gospel primarily among the Gentiles, that started a division within the church because a lot of the Christians who had come to Christ had been Jewish, and they had the idea that in order to become a Christian. First, you had to become Jewish. You had to follow the rules and the regulations of the Jewish law first, and then you could follow Christ. And what happened here, and I think I have a few moments here where I can get into this, is it was kind of a, a coming into conflict between the Gentile believers and the Jewish believers, and it came into conflict as recorded in the book of Acts, and Paul went and talked to the elders in Jerusalem and told them the message that he was preaching, basically saying, hey, we are saved by grace through faith alone, and it's not by becoming Jewish. And the response by the people in Jerusalem was that they sent a letter. Now, I'm kind of condensing things here, but they sent a letter to be read to the non-Jewish believers, and that's recorded in Acts chapter 15. It's rather, uh, I don't want to say long, long letter, but uh, was it Steve? Did I have you have this uh, passage from Acts 15, uh, verses 23 to 29, if you could read that for us? It says, They sent them the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following 
requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. And that was basically the message that was being sent to the Gentile Christians. Now, at the very beginning, it talked about some having gone out and was basically disturbing the people um, who had come to Christ. Why was that? Because these were the Judaizers who were going out to these new converts who were basically telling them, no, 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 you have to start following all these laws. You have to start following the Jewish rules. Uh, For males, that meant you had to be circumcised. Ouch. And that was not a very pleasant thing for them to think about. Um, They thought that these, these new Gentile Christians had to become Jewish first. And we're going to get more into that in just a few moments. But right now, we're going to take a word from our sponsor. And we're back with Reconciling Grace. This is Pete Vecchi, and we've just been discussing a little bit about uh, the situation that was going on in Acts chapter 15, where uh, people who were Jewish before they became Christian were going out to the non-Jewish believers and telling them they had to become Jewish before they could become Christian. They were, in essence, laying down a bunch of rules and saying you have to follow the Jewish law in order to be a Christian. But that's not really what it was about, was it? It was about coming to God through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And in fact, Paul talked about this in the book of Ephesians. And I believe, Vicki, you're the one who has the the passage in Ephesians um, chapter 2. So if you go ahead and read that for me, please. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. So the two humanities were the Jewish people on one side, the non-Jewish people on the other side. He was bringing them together by doing what? It was saying about abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two. Now, that's not the same version you read. Could you read that part in verse 15 one more time, Vicki? By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. Yes, I think we're just reading from two different versions there. But the idea is that the law, and this is what I what I have a tough time dealing with sometime it says was abolished or depending on the different uh, versions you might be reading it was done away with Um, that's very similar to something that paul said to the galatian christians in galatians chapter 2 and i believe mick that you have um those verses in galatians chapter 2 verses 15 and 16 and then 19 and 20. yes the word says We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we 
may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law no one will be justified. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So if you could just keep your finger right there, Mick. I'm not reading it. I was just following along with you. It says that through the law, I died to the law so that I could live for Christ. Is that the exact quote or very close to it? Yeah, it says, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. Live for God. In other words, if you die to the law, then what you're saying is I'm dying to trying to live up to these expectations, dying to trying to be good enough for God, dying in essence to self in order to live for God. And this is something that was difficult for the Judaizers to deal with. And in fact, one of the things that I have uh, often thought about, and I hope I'm not going along the rabbit trails here, this is going back to the Acts chapter 15 passage that uh, Steve started with. In this letter, they didn't quite say the way that Paul just did there. They didn't say, um, no, don't worry about it. You don't have to follow the law. They gave four conditions. They said, abstain from um, the, the, the meat of strangled animals, abstain from blood, abstain from um, sexual immorality, and I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting the, the food, sacrifice food, to idols. food sacrifice to idols. And I've often wondered, why those four particular things? You know, why didn't say... Why didn't it say, abstain from stealing from your neighbor? Abstain from um, murdering somebody? You know, why, why those four different things? Do you have any, any insights into that, anybody? Or? Yeah. Well, I was thinking, uh, Pete, it's, it's interesting. Three of those four deal with things that you ingest, that you take into your your stomach and I think those were the ones that primarily the Jewish people had laws built around now avoid sexual immorality that should be a no-brainer for just about everybody in 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 the Bible lands at that time I mean everybody knew that that was wrong so I don't see a any conflict with a Jewish law with the sexual immorality part but the blood the food sacrifice the idols and and a strangled animal all had direct ties to things that the Jews could relate to from their law. My personal opinion is having having read and studied this was that these prohibitions, if you will, or advised to abstain from those things were not so much to put an Old Testament law on the Gentiles. I think the directive was to benefit those with a weaker conscience, the Jews themselves. Because the Bible clearly says in a number of places, if, if what you eat causes another to stumble, then don't do it. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think the things that are mentioned that you ingest here, the blood, the food sacrifice, the idols, etc. You know, I, I think of what Paul said in Romans 14. He says, 
I am convinced being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. So taking those in wasn't inherently unclean, but it was going to hurt the faith of fellow Christians in the Jewish community. That's kind of how I see it. Sure. Vicki, were you about to chime in there? Yeah, these were things in their culture that concerned holy living and morality issues. Um, Sacrificing to idols was something that they did. And Mm -hmm. in their pagan worship, they would have sex with prostitutes. And so they needed to, just like anyone else, when you come to Christ, you need to separate yourself from your sinful lifestyle that you were living and not go to those places anymore, not do those things any longer. And that's part of what this was about. You need to stay away from sacrificing animals, stay away from the idol worship, stay away from the sexual immorality because they were that was just part of their religion. And that was previously. Right, right. I understand that. And so basically, maybe these were the things that that bothered the Jewish Christians the most. Would that be a kind of accurate way of putting it? Like these are the practices of the Gentiles that might be most bothersome to the Jewish Christians. So I've called Acts chapter 15, this letter in in my ministry several times, called it the Great Compromise, um, because they're they're trying to get the Gentile Christians to, to not do certain things while admitting that, well, maybe it's not necessarily wrong, but let's let's pacify these people over here. Steve, do you have any thoughts on that? I would say instead of the uh, great compromise, I call it the consolation prize. <laughs> right? The Judaizers, they're basically being told, no, you're wrong. But because we want to have peace between Jewish and Gentile Christians, here's what we'll do for you. We'll ask the Gentiles, uh, like we've been saying, not to do these certain things, uh, so that they can get along with Jewish Christians, at least until the Jewish Christians um, kind of grow out of these uh, habits. Do you see it as dispensational? What do you mean by dispensational? Like, Does it apply to us today? Okay, so right, in okay. other words, they're under a different dispensation, under a different uh, set of rules, a different time. It, it was the birth of the church, right. and they had this particular issue to meld the Jewish and the Gentile believers, and they didn't want them, you know, causing divisions or hurting people's faith by doing things they knew the other would have a tough time dealing with. I think that, well, I know that idolatry and sexual immorality is universal, no matter what generation that you're coming from. So I think it very much applies um, today to that. I think that they were trying to, as you're saying, they're trying to compromise a little bit, excuse me, but also these were things very important to them in getting their start in Christianity so that they could, as I said earlier, get get out of that culture that they were living in and not live in that any longer. And so I think that this very much applies to today because we need to be moral people and, and holy people, and certainly idolatry is something that God doesn't approve of. So what do people do today? Boy, I could open a whole can of worms here by saying this, but maybe we can at least scratch the surface. What kinds of things do people do today that would be basically saying, um, boy, can you really do that and be a Christian that might not actually be prohibited in the Bible? For instance, um, actually some things might be prohibited in the Bible based on how people read the Bible. Um, Vicki, I'm glad I have you here today, especially because now I'm going to get into this idea from the female perspective. When the Bible says about 
um, women not speaking in the church, for instance. Now, you've never dealt with that, have you, ever in your ministry? Mm, a lot, <laughs> actually. But, well, I mean, that's the kind of thing, though, that there might be some people who would say, well, you can't really be a Christian and have a woman speaking in the church. The other people might say, you can't really be a Christian and um, have a drink of alcohol. Or, or there, there are probably so many different things that are out there right now. Um, and, and I'm not talking about things that are specifically prohibited in the Bible. You know, um, I'm not talking about the, the uh, ideas of murder. I'm not talking about the ideas of, of stealing. I'm talking about things where I, I guess that Romans 14, as Mick, you brought up before, it called them disputable matters. Uh, Romans 14 talks about them being disputable matters. And that happens in the church a lot. So where is the heresy? Where is the line drawn between heresy and just saying, hey, it's all about grace? Does anybody have any thought on that? I think people have their own biasness of certain subjects, like you named a few. Um, things that they've grown up with, things that they've always believed and so until light is really shed on them with the truth, um, hopefully through the scriptures, but not only that, through uh, just talking with people and, and learning things, you know. Um, but I just think people have their own biases that they need to come out of and be willing to accept new truth. And that's where I think that the idea of grace is so important because we have a God who is more gracious than any one of us or any one of our listeners can understand. Now, I would kind of make a separation here. It's not just what I would call cheap grace. Oh, well, God's going to forgive me anyway, so I'm going to go out and live any old way I want to. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about wanting to glorify God, but maybe two different people or three different people or four different people or however many different people have different ideas about what it means to glorify God. I don't think that you're supposed to go on out and say, oh, well, I can sin as much as I want because God's going to forgive me anyway. And then, in fact, Paul dealt with that before. You know, it said, is the law sin? He says, no, it's not. Well, if the law is in sin, should I keep on sinning? He said, absolutely not, or God forbid, or, or however, you know, it's translated into English. That's not what it's about. But our salvation... And this gets back to the key of this heresy as we're, we're kind of running into the last few moments or minutes of our, of our program today. The key to this heresy is that we don't have to help God out in order to be saved. The key is that none of us is good enough. And it reminds me of the story that I heard many years ago about the... Uh, the little child who, who stood before God in heaven after having, you know, heard a, uh, a, a teacher and a scientist and, and all kinds of other people go up and say what they've done for humanity. Maybe one was a doctor and everything. This is why I should get into heaven, the doctor, because I've healed all these people or the teacher because I've taught all these things or, or the, the theology professor because I've, I've, I've divided the word of God properly and the child just walking up and saying, I haven't done anything. I just... I'm just relying on you, Jesus. And of course, it's the child who comes into heaven. Now, that's very simplistic. That's very, um, um, you know, if you want to call it not a mature way of looking at it. In, in fact, I remember hearing that when I, was a, when I was a young Christian and thinking, you know, I might be the kind of person who'd say, well, 
I've done this, 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 and this to help, but Lord, I know those aren't good enough, so I'm really just relying on you, but thinking about that's my, my kind of ace in the hole that I've done some good things before. It's not about those good things. Right. It's about the fact that I am surrendering my all to Jesus. We don't just die to the law, as the Bible said in, in um, Ephesians and in Galatians, but we die to self, and we surrender ourself to God. And I tell you what, we are getting close to running out of time here, folks. This has been one of those discussions where it's just gone on and we're about done. So for Steve Wilson, for Vicki Cundiff, for Mick Wells, this is Pete Vecchi. And I'm glad to have had you here today for Reconciling Grace. Lord willing, we'll see you again next time. This has been Reconciling Grace. Join us again next time as our panel discusses biblical truths centered around the reconciling grace of Jesus Christ.